Hi, Georgia. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Wonderful. Have you recovered from your trip to London? Have I recovered? Yes, I have. My inbox hasn't because Verve is very, 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 very busy at the minute. Is it? It is. Have you not noticed? <laughs> no. But then again, I haven't had a chance to look up from my computer. We were in doing some planning yesterday. I had a couple of hours meeting after lunch and then I had a meeting with the accountant. And when I came out of those, I had 212 emails just from that afternoon. So that was fun. That just feels so easy. I feel like everybody we're speaking to at the minute is so busy. They haven't to turn down work and people are trying to recruit and it just seems to be this boom happening at the minute. There is, which is great for the economy and for everybody in the country. Why am I it's so crazy? It's just a boom and it is at um, verve at the minute, isn't it? Why do you think it is? Why do you think we're so busy? Well, I think there's a lot of catching up, isn't there, through COVID. In the same way that, you know, when you're off for a week and you come back and you almost have to work twice as hard beforehand and twice as hard on the way back. So I feel like it's like that. Everyone's kind of catching up. People are getting back out. Older people are getting vaccinated. So certainly in financial services, the older generation, which is a large part of the client bank, they're all vaccinated and all back and now want to start talking about what they do with all this money that they've had. Yeah. So I think we're just seeing the effects of that, people coming out of the, the other side. Um, and we've gotten on a bit of a recruitment drive, haven't we? And we've just had so many lovely new people join us. And we've hit that milestone, haven't we? We have. We've got, we've got over 50 people now, we have. haven't we? Yes. Which we would have done even sooner if it wasn't for COVID. Um, and we introduced the para-partner role, didn't we? Yeah, which is kind of about enhancing the administrators to work alongside our partner, if you like, the para-planners. Financial administrators, as they're commonly known, but actually they do so the much more than hero, that. Isn't the it? unsung hero, yeah, and actually let's sing about it, but obviously not really singing. We don't want to just do what we've always done because if you do what you always done, you get what you've always had, <laughs> whatever, whatever the term is. Um, and just while we're talking about nice things that have happened in Verve recently, has some podcast been maybe shortlisted for an award? <gasps> Potentially. <laughs> I don't know which one it was, but I heard it was mint. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was a nice surprise, wasn't it? Wasn't it just... um, and it was interesting when the producer said, oh, which episode was it? All of them. <laughs> I, I presume they just picked out any point, any time, and just thought, wow. It's just, amazing. Oh, wow, there is. Wow. No filler in here. This is all quality. And no one is drunk. <laughs> Maybe it's a And we haven't got some club podcasting recently. Yeah, because you keep booking it in half past ten in the morning. Even I'm pushing it for that. Um, one of the interesting things about our recruitment process is we have the grad scheme where graduates come through regardless of the degree that they've got. You know, we've got the zoology, the criminology, the psychology, um, the ologies. Other ologies are available. But actually, we've widened that to people who haven't even got a degree but have got the drive. And, you know, to us, it's all about your personality. It's about how innovative are you, how creative, how driven. And it doesn't really matter your background or where you come from or your education and even the minute not even your location we've got somebody in belfast we've got a couple of southerners about <laughs> so basically if you're a great person and you're creative and you're innovative and um you think you know you're all right get yourself applying <laughs> <laughs> i mean that job advert just has written itself yep We've always felt like that anyway, because it's we enjoy working with people that are like us and are kind of wired in the same way and are a bit vervy. But actually, more broadly than that, the Verve mission being all around pushing financial services forward and helping develop it. But by getting new people in, they're bringing fresh perspectives. Like, we can do this all day long, but ultimately, we've been in finance for 15 years. So there's a lot of 
older knowledge in our head that isn't relevant anymore, but brand new people coming in that haven't got that, they'll literally just look at what we do and we'll be able to see ways of pushing that forward and changing it and um, enhancing it. And it's good that we are open to saying we don't know what we don't know. So last night I was chatting to Jude, my 16-year-old. So he had this little girlfriend they've split up. But he went, you know, she's just like... He went, you won't understand what this means. I'm thinking, oh, you know, try me, I might. He went, she just keeps sending me foreheads. <laughs> and all right, yeah, no, of all the words I expect me to say, that wasn't it. <laughs> I was like, what, like in the post? Um, <laughs> odd. She's got no, like scalping people. So it's like a thing on Snapchat where if you want to talk to somebody, you just send them a photo of your forehead and it means like, I want to talk to you. And then he, and then when he explained it, I thought like, weird, but okay, it's a thing. And then she sent him a forehead and then he went like this. And I went, all right, look, I, I know what a forehead is and I know what a photograph looks like. And I can imagine what a photograph of a forehead looks like. So like, I got the concept, you didn't have to show me. It wasn't that stupid. What is wrong with kids? How, how is, is that, that better than just sending a message saying hi? Um, how is that better than just sending a message of, you, of like any part of your body or face? Well, maybe not. Why your body. send it if you just want to talk to somebody? Why? Yeah. Why not? Is it hi? <laughs> like, is that. Are you honestly don't get it? It was just that I was so annoyed at the. Like, you won't get it. Yeah, I'm done with Try the kids. me, yeah. yeah. I watched an Instagram story the other day at work. It wasn't <laughs> on my phone, but you know, I watched it. And it was off work. But I know stuff, um, but I didn't know it's foreheads. Give me foreheads. That's hilarious. It's <laughs> class. No, random. I thought. Such a wrinkly forehead. Couldn't imagine anything worse. I know, than yeah. It's, like it's an odd. <laughs> on my body well, parts. I was thinking that. So, yeah. like, just send a photo of, like, your, anything, your thumb. Like, anything. If you want to talk to somebody, if you're trying to get someone's attention, I suppose it's like yeah. the old school Facebook pork, is it? But a forehead. In my era, they actually mm. just keep WhatsApping me, and you get irritated. Like, oh, I can't believe he sent another message. Sometimes. Like, imagine feeling irritated. Like, I've got another forehead. <laughs> like, I just. <laughs> Oh. Well, imagine having to have the discussion about how you can respectfully. And I went, and you know, Jude, she's gone through a hard time. You've just broke up and stuff. You know, you could just maybe send her the odd forehead back. <laughs> but a forehead reciprocation wouldn't hurt. I know. Come on, maybe just like an eyebrow. <laughs> you don't want to lead her on with a hairline, but you know, just have a touch of the brow. Um, just sitting thinking to myself, have I fell asleep? <laughs> <laughs> is this a thing? <laughs> um, speaking of trends, I do worry because, you know, I am of the slightly older vintage within the company um, that I am missing out on trends, which is why our most recent blog on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is written by one of the younger members of staff rather than me. But, you know, some of these trends that you hear about now... I don't want to be that person who goes, oh, this rock and roll music, what's this? And, you know, CDs will never take over vinyl. I don't want to be that person. However, but, <laughs> however, WTF is NFT, non-fungible tokens. Are you on board with that? I literally have not got a clue what they are. It's just these NFTs are selling for millions, literally millions. millions. Yeah. And that you're owning nothing. And it was like mm. the first ever tweet you can pay, like yeah. you paid millions, but everybody can see that 2. tweet. 2.5 million for the first ever tweet. And you can see it. Yeah. It's just there. Yeah. All you're getting <laughs> is a certificate to say that you own that, but actually it can be reproduced. You can look at it. To me, it screams of those kind of big Russian businessmen who've got nothing else to spend the nothing money on. Nothing to spend the money on. And then, but then I thought, well, is that any different to art? You know, people buy art and they hang it in their halls and in properties that they never go to. It's not like they're sitting and enjoying it every day. It's just about, you know, modern art where maybe it's just a red square. 
Yeah, but at least with modern art, it's tangible. You've got something physical. So whatever happens in trends, there is something you can pick up off the wall. And I'm like, you, I appreciate that we're just going to sound like the rock and roll nanas that don't like things moving on. However, you've spent two and a half million. And then what if, you know, next year, Elon Musk says they're not a thing. And, or, you know, the fellow who had all that cryptocurrency, but it's locked in his hard drive and it's in a skip somewhere and he can't get it. Like, <laughs> he's still looking, though. Bless he's him. still looking, as you would. Mm. But there's something about, it's literally so intangible that I've, I can't wrap my okay, head around so it. Okay, so let me play devil's advocate. So say you pay 2.5 million, we're going to use this as an example, on a piece of modern art that you hang in your house and then the markets change, the trends, the you know appetite changes. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to buy it. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. do anything. You've still got you've got it something tangible, but it's yeah. a piece of paper yeah, in true. a frame. You've got literally, you can't do anything with it. It is just about trends. And, you know, if a fire goes up, insurance can you get insurance on nfts well this is the thing isn't it it's not what would you need to insure it it's yeah and this is the problem even if you want to get on board with it you're not getting on board with something that is in any way logical there is no restrictions around it there's no logic there's no legislation there's nothing that's going to protect you but you know same as going into a casino so it just depends which one you're going to have the most fun doing but well it's interesting because currency in itself is just if you ever look at a banknote it says mm. this entitles the bearer to yeah. 10 pounds so the theory is is that you could go to the bank and get you know, 10 that bit of paper is worthless it's isn't actually it? worth it yeah. is just a piece of paper so it's just around you know everybody having that kind of group collective of this is what money means mm-hmm. and so it's a concept in theory because if everybody went to the bank and went right okay well i need physical gold whatever it would be it wouldn't be there i agree but i think there's something about currency or investments equities companies which are a more tangible and b there's longevity there so these have evolved and markets around them have evolved over centuries versus this thing that's come fairly out of the blue and you're now paying two and a half million for a tweet like the extreme of it Mm -hmm. isn't there's a concept behind it and you're right in terms of you know is it a piece of art is it a bit of paper is it a an NFT, however you picture that, but it absolutely screams bubble, just like the cryptocurrency stuff. If they'd come in and they were growing and there was, I know it sounds really compliancy, but there's some regulation that comes in around it and makes sure people understand what they're doing and they're getting involved with, it would probably grow a lot steadier and it could become its own um, class. So commodity, when you're investing, you can invest in equities, you can invest in commodities like vintage wines or gold, oils, all of those things. I absolutely get them. These, how they are right now, the way they've exploded, possibly partly because of how upside down the world's been for the last 14 months, there's absolutely no depth to them and mm-hmm. to kind of the levels that they've got to and at some point they're going to they might explode and come back down and then grow more steadily mm-hmm. and then they do just become an extra asset within a well diversified portfolio but at the minute it's not that and I think that's where you need to be kind of going if I'm playing around with it I'm playing around with it but I understand that I'm think... at risk of losing every single penny I'm putting in yeah um, I think there's something as well though around current appetites and the people who the younger generation they've got a shorter attention span mm-hmm. and they yeah, want yeah. a quick win yeah yeah you no know, one cares about the 50 year time frame yeah and Lennon literally said to me before he got a bonus from work and he went oh and I've seen that you can get this app I've seen it on TikTok and, and you know you just put your money in and it can like double and I was thinking how despite all the things yeah. I've told you how can you still fall for that yeah. um, it is a dangerous thing however you know dot com was a similar thing everybody put a load of money into internet companies and these things have to start somewhere and they did exactly that they bubbled they burst and it's grown back up, yeah, you yeah. know, it, it, in some capacity. But yeah. new things do always have to have a starting point. And maybe there will just be like an in, initial um, burst of it. But 
you know, some people will put in and get out just at the right time and you'll be lucky and a, but a lot of people won't. A lot of people will, like you say, lose everything they put into it. Cheery. Cheery. <laughs> I was just thinking that. You... Oh, I wrote in there, I've got an autographed copy of an Oasis music sheet. <laughs> I've wrote, I've got an autographed copy of an Oasis music sheet. Um, people will buy any useless shite. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's my contribution. Um, although, Oasis isn't useless shite, it's good. But why do I need to see somebody's signature? I once had a bottle of Liam Gallagher's um, water, which I used to sometimes like just lick. <laughs> but now I don't. I chucked it out because, you know, I got over it. Like, you'd lick the outside of the bottle? I was sometimes just have a little dunk of it because it had his mouth on it and it was like we were kissing. <laughs> I mean, I was like 27 or something. <laughs> it wasn't like I was a child. <laughs> I've got a photo of it somewhere, like the water bottle. Like. Um, and Did then, you throw it in the crowd and you caught it? No, um, so I went to a gig and the guy, I knew the guy was doing head of security, so he got me like the set list. Liam's <laughs> water bottle and like, I want to say a guitar pick or something like that. And I had them all together. Um, and then one day I just thought, fuck if I just got a bottle of water? <laughs> like just in my house, like just a half drunk bottle of water. And so then just yeeted it. A lot of the founding principles of investment is around getting in the markets and staying in the markets and not faffing on. And earlier talked, the better. Earlier the better. We talked and a often. lot about that <laughs> and how it accumulates and compounding and all the rest of it. And these are kind of the solid principles that have been ingrained in us. But then actually there was an article in the Times where there's... So firstly, it's a think tank. And I just think as soon as I hear the words think tank, it's just... They're not even in a tank, you know. <laughs> They're usually in a room. <laughs> yeah, so there was this article in the Times. What, what do you think? A group of people <laughs> were in a room and came up with a different idea. So rather than little and often over the years, their um, argument was while you're younger and you've got student debt and you've got mortgages and all the rest of it, you put in less into your pension savings, but that as you're older, so from kind of the age of 45 onwards, you because you then haven't got all of these and your kids might have flown the nest if you can never get them out. And in theory, your earnings are higher and your outgoings should be lower. And actually then you ramp it up and they were talking about 15 to 25% of your income going into your pensions. And I just read it and disagreed with it on every point. <laughs> um, and I hope this isn't going to be a debate because I also disagree with it on every point. Oh, well, let's just like slag them off there. <laughs> Stupid think tanks. Well, I just, I disagree with it because from a financial point of view, compounding is a real life thing and mm -hmm. get it in earlier and less. And oh, there's something dangerous about going, I'll do it later when I've got some more Absolutely. money. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And then up to a quarter of your up income. Up to a quarter. And also, I'm sorry, you've raised left. kids and yeah. you've finally got some free cash and you can finally get on a bloody cruise or go to Vegas but now I have to absolutely I honestly not. think as well though as if you're, <laughs> doing, if you're putting 5% in every year every month yeah that is great yeah. and your employer is likely foundation. to be matching it exactly. absolutely 
Um, it's a really good foundation. And even if you want to, when you get to your 45s or whatever age it might be, you want to start putting in a bit more, absolutely do that. Yeah, or yeah. save into yeah. your ice or You shouldn't then be going, oh, well, now I'm going to, you know, I have to give a quarter of my income to a pension. And actually, you could have all these grand ideas of, um, you know, I'm 20 now. And in 25 years, I'll start putting it all into the pension because by that point, I'll have had kids, they'll have grown up, I'll have paid off my debts, I'll have got a job that's paying me loads of money. There's a lot of assumptions to work out. And if any of them don't, then you're going to get to 45 and you've got nothing and you've got no time left to actually... Just assuming that at 45, all your kids have left home. A lot of people aren't having kids until they're 45. Um, That's a great point, actually. Um, You know, whose assumption is that you're, you're getting married and having a child is... Um, 25 and they've left home. Yeah, when I'm 45, Harrison will only be 11. And... Yeah, you're going, yeet! <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to have to start putting all my money into my venture. I literally was like, can I? No, I'm not getting rid of my 11, am I? Um, so I just, I think that's completely skewed. Like it's a dangerous message to put out and it's Absolutely. a contradictory message. it's so message. hard to start something that, you yeah. haven't, that you're not used to. Yeah. Imagine never putting into a pension and going, all right, now I'm just going to give a quarter, quarter of, of it. it. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody's doing that. Um, and also, it's contradictory, not just to us at that mental podcast, who are clearly the most important um, but to the whole government message and 10 years of auto-enrollment where they've tried so hard to embed the concept of investing and starting your own pension and looking after and protecting yourself to then just come out with this new report and say like nah I don't do it um, I'd be interested to find how they've worked that out have they looked at other things like your mortgage are you downsizing are you, have you got ISAs or maybe they've got different salaries look at different ways to invest and there's so many other things to do and I'd, I'd like to see what figures they've used to come up with this rubbish <laughs> um, but one of the stats that was interesting is where I was just saying how auto enrolments had a big impact on getting people to save more. An additional £22.7 billion a year is being saved Great. compared to pre-auto enrollment. So literally mm-hmm. £23 billion a year, which is just it is phenomenal. And I feel like auto enrollment could have been improved in some ways, but it's definitely had an impact. But imagine what better lifestyles people are going to have in the future. Although you know my theory is that the government are doing this on purpose so then they can pull the state pension. Are you just trying to end all of the segments on a downer? <laughs> or is that... <laughs> Speaking of the government, have you seen their new concept breathing space? So there's been a lot of work around um, debt and debt management and well there was work around it beforehand but obviously COVID's just exacerbated some people's problems and a lot of people are out of work and they've found themselves in you know problems with debt. Being in debt can really affect somebody's mental health. Yeah. And um, so they've brought out a program which is called Breathing Space okay. and it allows somebody to basically say to their creditors so if you've got like a credit card or something and they're sending you letters and sometimes they'll text or call or yeah emails and say you owe this money and if you feel like it's affecting your mental health or you just can't pay it you're allowed to speak to them and say I need some breathing space and it gives you a couple of weeks um, well a couple of months sorry 60 days um, where they're not allowed to contact you so you can either you know have some freedom to work out how you're going to pay it back which of course they now have to give you a variety of options yeah and if you say I can't pay that they'll have to be able to um, offer you some alternative options it's not bad enough where you're feeling awful and then you're just getting calls all the time from Barclaycard saying you owe however much money 
you know what? I like that because like it is genuinely a big negative reaction when you're it's like it's almost a cliche isn't it to say that you see these overdue red letters coming through mm-hmm. and you put them all in the drawer and um, I've been in that situation especially like you know uni and post uni kind of the early years and stuff and did have debts and I had a car loan that I couldn't afford and I had credit cards and there is something it literally just makes your heart race when you see another one landing on the doormat and you you almost can't then think about how to do it because you're too busy mm-hmm. stressing out about it. From what you're saying, you, you you have to apply for it. So even that's a proactive decision to, I'm going to give myself some breathing space so they stop creating all this noise and I can make a plan mm-hmm. and get on top of it. And I, like it, it, yeah. it genuinely feels like a, a thing that you could easily imagine people benefiting from. Absolutely. And I think it's for any mental health problems in your life, acknowledging it and actually saying to somebody I need help with this is the first step so actually instead of ignoring all those letters and feeling worse and it's snowballing into a mental health crisis what you're saying is look I need some breathing space I'm struggling with this at the end they're not going to come back and start bombarding you again with calls you've taken the first step and they'll say right okay we'll set you up a payment plan and having those conversations I don't think people realize that debtors um, and creditors can have those conversations and can discuss plans and Actually, if you phone up your credit card or your loan or whoever it is and just say, I'm struggling, mm-hmm. they'll help. They won't yeah, just go, yeah. well, all right, I'm sorry, I'm coming to take your TV. There are um, lots of options. I was always amazed at how much they helped. So when I started Parasols, um, for that reason, so I had a car loan, I think I had an overdraft and maybe a credit card. Um, and I was managing just about all the repayments on them, but then I quit my job to start mm-hmm. my own business. And the car that I had a loan on, I sold. So I had some cash to pay my mortgage. So then I had a car loan with no car. Um, then the mortgage, like that cash ran out. So I had nothing coming in and all this money that needed to go out. And I rang Barclays and told them the situation. And, and obviously this was in 2009. Um, and told them that I was kind of, I'd gone freelance and I was working for myself and I was picking up some waitressing stuff on the side. Um, they were absolutely unbelievable. They literally bundled it all up together, got rid of any interest, because most of what I was paying at that point was interest, spread it over 10 years. So my payments went from like £450 a month to 70 quid a month. Mm-hmm. And I literally paid that off over the next 10 years. But it's that kind of, once the letters were coming in, the temptation is to put your head in the sand. And as soon as you do, it's really hard to get your head back out that sand. And literally those letters coming in, if those creditors think, oh, I'll send more and more angry letters and a big red stamp on the front, it's absolutely not the way to do it. They're not helping themselves. No. So like, I like it. I think it is a great concept. And I think you're right. It's having those discussions and taking that step. You might be surprised at how possible it is to get out mm-hmm. of a situation that might be seeming impossible. And it's not a quick fix. In the same way that when COVID hit and people were on furlough and a lot of the mortgage companies took away all of their barriers mm-hmm. around payment holidays. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my mortgage previously was you could only take a payment holiday if you'd overpaid for six months or more, um, which never done <laughs> obviously <laughs> um but then it gave you the option that if you want to take a payment holiday you literally went online and you clicked a button and um, so it just made it so much easier for people than than what it had been previously um so actually working together i think that'll be the way that people will get, end up getting their debt down and, yeah. and managing it more you know managing it's, it it's not a quick win for anybody is it but ultimately mm. it helps get the entire economy back on its feet exactly and that's you know what we're all about at the minute I think there's a lot of stigma around debt and there shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. People always do what's right for them at the time, you know, and some of that might be getting into debt. <laughs> We've all made bad financial decisions, haven't we? Uh, no. 
<laughs> um, you've just literally said you had a car loan and you sold the car. So you had a loan on a car that you didn't have. But it allowed me to start the business. So Which ultimately, is good, um, it was but, right for you at the time. It was. Um, and I would just say, um, before we highlight any more of my bad financial decisions or yours, that you rank with debt. And I actually think at the grand old age of 38, like my thoughts on that have evolved as well. Because even from a business point of view, if we're looking at growing the business and the discussions I've had in the past with people who wanted to invest... Or the alternative is we could take on debt to help us grow. And my ability to make a decision on that was skewed by this immediate gut reaction of, oh, debt's bad, can't do that, can't do that. But even like more recently when we've talked about it, like you kind that, of... And distortion, you didn't want other people involved. Don't want other people involved. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so we just did nothing. Um, but it is that, and it's, it is still the same concept. It's not as black and white as debt mm -hmm. is bad. And if you can take it for the right reasons, it can easily spiral. I absolutely spent all of my student loans and grants on shoes that I didn't need. But yeah, it's the importance of knowing when it has gone the wrong way and mm -hmm. taking control of it, but it doesn't mean that you have to avoid it entirely. Well, I was trying to think what would be some of the worst financial decisions that I've made. So not the big ones around like, you know, buying a house at the start of a financial crash. Um, well, do you know what you're saying about that there though? It's like my windows, I've put off getting new windows for so long because I knew it was a 20 grand project. And I kept thinking, oh, well, I'll save up and I'll do this and you know, and I'll get there. And then just thought in the end, Joe, your windows are absolutely horrific. A, they're ugly. B, the bloody curtains waft when they're closed. <laughs> um, you need to just get windows and yes, you don't want to pull 20 grand out of your bot. So actually, I had to get that and then like, I feel like it, you know, it's just one of them things. Any smaller financial decisions that you've regretted? Oh, all the time, all the time. I tell you what is a bad financial decision now, card machines in pubs. Because once over, I would go out and I'd go, right, okay, well, I'm going out for the night, I'll take 80 quid. Um, once I spend that 80 quid, I go home. <laughs> now, there's card machines in pubs and I'm just like, ah, bang, bang, bang. I think when I've consumed a lot of wine, I do make a lot of bad decisions. I also think I make a lot of good decisions. Oh, go on, tell me one. <laughs> oh, you can't think of one, can you? <laughs> it's interesting that because the ancient Greeks had said that you should never ever act on a decision that you've made when you're sober um, without getting drunk first and talking it through. And if you make a decision when you're drunk, again, thinking it through when you're sober, a decision should only mm. be right once you've considered it in both ways. Um, I like that other than what if the decision you've made when you were drunk, you then act on instantaneously. Then the well, next then morning when you're sober, problem. it's too late because you've already done well, that's whatever. Well, that's the whole point. Done. I think it's you shouldn't knee-jerk anything, should you? you should yeah, make but it. try telling drunk Cathy not to knee-jerk <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like bloody river dance, Michael Flatley walking around the street, but you just knee jerk decision everywhere. <laughs> Do you know what one of mine was? <laughs> My palm tree. <laughs> oh, it was a bad decision, yeah. <laughs> Well, and actually, phones in general, because... We're trapped in that, because I haven't... My phone's been doing an upgrade for over a year, and I don't care about whatever's... I've literally lost track of what numbers there are. It got to X and then I was lost. So I don't know what phone do I've got. Do not know Roman numerals? <laughs> well, no, because they didn't do XI, the did 10, they? Because it was the yeah, but then what came after it? that? Just 11? Yeah. Well, it's just ridiculous. What number's it up to now? Why put an X 12. in there? Because it was fun. Idiots. Anyway, so I'm doing an upgrade, I presume. I'm probably still on an X. 
and I don't care about it and I don't want whatever camera features but they just start shutting your phone off stuff's just stopping working on it and they do it on purpose and it makes me really cross like just leave me alone with my already expensive phone mm -hmm. that would work fine if you weren't there in the background Steve Jobs just flicking things off um, and also just on the designer stuff as well I always feel like um, when I've been gone a bit crazy and like yeah and tried to like splash out I always end up sending them back so it's just not worth it why don't we just go around the office and um, ask some people what their bad financial decisions have been? Ooh, interesting. Uh, so, but yeah, we've just been doing hey. our <laughs> podcast and it's based around <laughs> finance, funny enough. And we were talking about times in our past where we've made bad financial decisions and about how there's nothing wrong with owning up to when you've made some bad financial decisions. So we thought we'd ask a few different people, have you ever made a bad financial decision? No, <laughs> perfect, every time. Uh, um, I did set up an ISA recently um, with funds that I chose myself and I was really confident with it. And it's currently down 10%. So. <laughs> Ones that don't make us look bad, you do realise that um, it's a long-term investment. Yes, I do realise that. And you stay in the market, so it's not a bad financial Oh, no, I think it is. Yes. I feel like good work when all of the markets are going up to be down 10%. <laughs> it's quite impressive. Um, which, which funds were these? It was all tech. It was all... Um, oh. it's, all, it's, all in, it's all in Dogecoin at the minute. Oh, so, um, well. <laughs> you know, if you will buy into No, it was, yeah, it was mostly, mostly um, global equity and tech funds. I feel like uh, quite a lot of emerging market as well. I had a feeling that that would be sort of the future um, growth would be in those kind of funds. Yeah, um, I put a lot of money... Which might be possible, um, or that might, that might be true, but not quite yet, yeah. as it turns um, how out. How long has it been? When did you set it up? Oh, just a couple of months ago. Oh, yeah, so you're not in yeah. the future yet, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically time. it's the future, but not the future future. And well done for setting up an ISA. Good for you. Very proud. What about you, Kay? You look yeah, like... Yeah, I did. When I first passed my driving test, I got a car in finance, and it was the worst mistake of my life. Why? What kind of car was it? It was just like a little Vauxhall, but if I went back now, for what I know now, I would rather have just bought like a cheaper outright car. Did you write it off? <laughs> no, I didn't actually. It just took me ages to pay off, and I thought I would, I could yeah. do without all of this yeah. if I just bought one. But yeah, stickiness isn't though when you've just yeah. first passed your license and you just think I'm going to drive everywhere now. Hope nice people ask car. me for a lift, and then after a while you're like, oh. Well, thanks. That's a really good example actually, because I think we talked a lot about. Um, whether it's good to get into debt or not over yeah. certain things and I'm going to say yes for a car because, yeah. you know, don't have money in my back pocket. Uh, but thanks, Kay. Um, James, <laughs> you ever made a bad financial decision? Um, I think for me, probably my Middlesbrough season ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Never yeah. been value for money. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> um, so w will you still do it? Will you continue to make that bad financial decision? Yeah, I've already bought mine for next year, which <laughs> I wish I hadn't actually now. Well, but... well, no, that's fine. We've got Newcastle season tickets, so, you know, failure. Yeah. Um, and it was a particularly bad financial decision when you weren't allowed in the stadium. Yeah. So that was a good one. Yeah, that was. <laughs> to watch it on the telly with everybody else. Yeah, um, the £10 streams or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, how much is your um, Middlesbrough season ticket? Uh, £480. <laughs> Um, my fiancé has money in crypto and it has gone up but he ended up wiping off like two grand from Elon Musk doing the SNL performance yeah. um, and he thought it was going to go up so yeah a bit of a bad move not taking it out when I told him to 
and you have been telling him, haven't you? I think within the IT world, people have been investing in crypto for quite a few years, so he's had money in Bitcoin in just small amounts, and I think the original investment was only about 500, but over years where he's built it up, and so it's, it's just really volatile. He's, he's still made money on it, but it's not something that's recommended. The FCA don't recommend it, for instance. Like, yeah, so he's made money on it, but it's still a loss, and it's just not the best. Oh, Dan, just before we go, you ever made a bad financial decision? Yeah, uh, once I bought some oxygen for a fiver. Oh, <laughs> 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 the oxygen tents. Yeah. I've done that, I didn't think that was a bad decision. I thought it was quite fun. <laughs> Did you get any benefit from it? It's supposed to just like work in your office, isn't it? It's still alive, isn't it? <laughs> I hope, yeah, you just get it yeah, for free as well, though, can't you? Yeah, you can just breathe. <laughs> get quite a bit of oxygen. Yeah, until then I'd never breathed before, but <laughs> someone told us it was a life hack, so... <laughs> <laughs> Keep working in finance. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dan. That's really, really helpful. Thanks for joining us on That Mint podcast. And do you want to, just for people who are listening, just introduce yourself and kind of what it is that you do at the moment? Yeah, so I'm Carla Edwards. I run The Protection Parent, which is an insurance company. And I also run Money Making Mothers podcast as well. Fab. And so how long have you been running the protection business and how did you get into it, Carla? So I've been running the protection parent since officially January of this year. Um, I've worked in insurance for the past two years. I came from quite a big firm in the northeast and then I just wanted to set up my own because I wanted to create my own legacy for my children. I wanted to build something that was on me. The responsibility pushes me and drives me, so I knew it would work well rather than me working for someone else. I was going to ask how you got into working in protection and insurance in the first place, but do you think that's quite a natural fit for you? No, not at all. So I was, um, it was actually my mortgage broker and he came and did my mortgages. And if he asked me for some information, within 20 minutes it'd be there, everything and extra, and and this in in case you need this. And he used to ring me and go, you need to be doing like something like this. Like you're so on it. Like there's never any info missing. You're always on the ball. And I just kept saying, oh, no, no, no. And then I was working, I was as a kitchen designer and it was working full time and it was very, very sales based and quite pressured. But I'm a softie, you know, I don't like to take the mick out of people. I, I, I really just want to be honest. And a lot of the time I was put in a position where I couldn't be honest, you know, if there was a cheaper kitchen, but the person who was fitting the kitchen had, had recommended this kitchen, I wasn't allowed. And it used to really bother me. So I wasn't very happy. And I was having a third, my third baby, my daughter, Alba. And when I went on maternity, I thought, well, do you know what? What's, what's the worst that's going to happen if I go and see and like ask what, what the process is? And it just went from there. By the time I went back to work, I did my three months and then I did full time with insurance. Brilliant. Um, so you're saying that you've always been like that since you were, say, 16 and stuff. And we know, because one of our big passions is the fact that um, there isn't very much education in schools about finance. So where was your influence? Were your parents, are they like that? Or No, the direct opposite. We had we had hardly out when we when I was younger. So I wanted to like, I didn't want to, I didn't want that, like not nothing against, like obviously my mum and dad, like they did the best they could, but I was a big saver. Even now, like, I'm, it's weird, I'm tight, but I'm not tight with other people. So, like, anything to do with, if I could get it 30 pence cheaper walking 100 metres, I would. That's just how I am. I just think I wouldn't want 
waste money when I don't have to. So even from being like a kid, when I first started earning money, I'd save and I'd like look at what I could what I could do with the money rather than just spending it. So yeah, I've always been a bit of a weirdo with money. <laughs> Um, is that something how old are your children I've got a 10 year old a six year old and three year old is it something that you think you'll you know kind of instill in them is there anything you've started doing with them already yeah there's um I don't know whether you know about the go henry app for kids you've yeah. seen it where like if they do something then you give them a reward and you pay them and like it builds up so if they do the things you want them to do then you get the, the pocket money and extras you can pay across so I do that with him and it's he he loves it and he saves his birthday money and his Christmas money. And he's like, oh, I don't want to spend it on this. And I'm like, well, spend it when you want to spend it. And then Teddy, who's six, he say, mom, can I have this? And if I say no, he goes, what if I go and do this though? Like say, I don't know, tidy my bedroom. Then can I have it? I'll do that every day. So he's already like getting the, you need to work hard to get the money type thing. And I, and I never, don't get me wrong, they, they have everything they want, but I'd never, ever be the type of parent who would spoil my kids no matter how much money I had because I don't believe in it. I think you should always instill in them from young that you get what you work for and that's that's how it pays off. How important do you think it is and um, about financial education? Literally, I think you take for granted that when you're in that industry or you've learned about the industry because you want to, 99% of the rest of that age don't and they don't understand it and they just they take advice from the first person who'll give them it rather than actually going out and understanding it and I'm all for I just I strongly believe that children from being young should be taught what money is how to use it what a mortgage is what in, you know all that type of thing because you're setting them up to be successful mm. but it's like pensions like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie I know nothing I'm in the industry and I know hardly anything about pensions because if I'm honest I think unless it's explained in a way that I understand it and that's relatable to me, I switch off. And I think a lot of people are like that. And pensions, predominantly, like from where I am, you're only, if you're rich, you have a pension. Mm. That's the perception of it. Not that you can create your own pension and you can you know, fund yourself for your future. It's, oh, well, unless you're a millionaire, you don't need a pension because you'll just get whatever you get from work there's a breakdown in communication or explanation of what, what it is and how it can be used for everybody rather than just the people who are privileged to earn high amounts of money. Yeah, absolutely. What's the kind of biggest misconception do you think that you get from people around protection and whether or not they need it or how they approach it? Do you find yourself trying to kind of educate people on the realities of it? Insurance sells itself. It just needs to be explained properly. Oh, there's the doorbell. Um, <laughs> needs to be explained properly. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the industry that don't explain it. They just sort of tell them what they need rather than finding out why they need it. For me, critical illness is so much more important than life insurance because it's covering you when you're alive and it's looking after your family, your children. And But you never see it advertised. It's always, what's the cheapest? What's the hook? It doesn't need a hook. You need to explain what it does and it'll be a magnet. Do you know what I mean? But it's just, there's just such a breakdown in the marketing and the awareness to the product. And um, clearly you're quite organised with your cash, but have you got any kind of financial decisions that you regret? I'm just terrible. The, my only downfall with money is if I went on my Just Eat account, which I did about six months ago, it made me feel physically sick. Like over a thousand pound on Just Eat. And it's like, Just Eat should not allow people to say how much they've spent on their account. Like it should not oh, be. Oh, just responsibly, like, like they have on gambling accounts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it 
Because, you know, like, I literally started Googling how to block one, like, yourself from just eight because I was like, oh, my... Because stuff like that. And my husband was like, Cara, that's been over, like, a year. Like, break it down. I was like, that £1,000 could have done this. I could have done that. And he was like, it's okay. You've had some takeaways. It's been locked down, like, calm. But... I started looking and all that was coming up was gambler aware <laughs> things. And I was like, no, no, it's not gambling. It's in, inhaling saturated fat. I need to stop. It's just in my head. It's because it's 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 you've seen a thousand pounds. If it was just yeah. you've had two takeaways a week, you'd think, well, that's fine because it was time that I spent elsewhere. But I've probably, it's when I you wouldn't see like to it. see the portal. It's, yeah. It's like that thing they're doing on banking apps now, aren't they? Where like you yeah. can style and do it where if you've got like i don't know say you went into one stop all the time it's on confectionery you see how much that's built up and you see what you could have done and that was it and i think it was just seeing the full total i was like i've wasted so much money on palm like <laughs> it's a northern thing it's allowed i think <laughs> um, yeah. that you want to get across that we can put into the podcast any specific message or anything you want to say just anybody who wants to understand insurance then follow me on linkedin at Carla Edwards or uh, website for the protection parent or call.uk. Thank you. Oh, well, thanks very much for your time. Well, should we just say thank you to um, a few people for today's episode, Jojo? Yes, please go ahead. No, oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks to you and to me, to your second draft for squeezing us into the extremely busy schedule and helping us produce an award-nominated podcast. Exciting. Very exciting. Um, to the marketing team for all their effort on it and for helping us to line up Carla Edwards and thanks to Carla for joining us and, and don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. because I feel like I'm going to do like a little tiny burp. <laughs> but I don't think I will because I really hate burping. Do you? I, I, I'd rather somebody pump <laughs> in my presence. I hate the sound of a burp. I mean, I'm ambivalent about a pump. <laughs> Did you do your burp? <laughs> no, I didn't do them in the end. Sometimes I find I frighten them back in. <laughs> Really heard a burp, it's like, woo! <laughs> Try and get out of my bottle in a minute. Because <laughs> I'm so precious about what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> um.